Okay, grab a Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 13. Uh, That's where we are in our study of Genesis today. If you don't have your Bible with you, just use your phone. That'd be just fine. I trust that you'll, you know, stay off Instagram for just a little bit. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, Yeah, use that. Navigate to Genesis 13. I'm going to want you to see it. And while you're turning there, I'm going to make an admission to you that, I don't know, I may lose some respect, okay? I'm just willing to do that because I, I am who I am. I have a favorite movie. Uh, my top three, uh, probably my number two favorite movie uh, all my life is a movie called Zoolander. Uh, does anybody know about Zoolander? I know, like this, the respect just, just it's gone, right? So I can't say anything from here on to gain it back. But uh, Zoolander, it came out about 2000 or so, the year 2000, uh, somewhere around then. It was uh, Ben Stiller <coughs> uh, starred as a male model, Derek Zoolander. It was just, he just had no brains, right? It was just, he was all looks, right? Uh, that was the whole point of the movie. His agent uh, in real life was his dad, Jerry Stiller, but his, a- his agent in the movie uh, was a guy named Maury, played by Jerry Stiller. And uh, I remember the scene where Derek had gone through a hard time. Uh, you know, he, he, his career wasn't the same, uh, and he was really contemplating things in life. And uh, he sat down with his, his agent, Maury, and, uh, and Maury said, Derek, what do you do when you fall off the horse? And Derek just looks at him, kind of confused. What do you mean? And Maury says, you get back on. And Derek says, sorry, Maury, I'm not a gymnast. No, that's, I love it. What do you do when you fall off the horse? Well, last week we saw Abram, who we know as Father Abraham, totally fall off the horse. He totally fell off the path of faithfulness. And the question is, what did he do next? See, God had made an incredible promise to bless the entire world through Abram's family line. And that his descendants would be the inheritance of, uh, of a, an incredible land, a promised land that God would give to them. And he was only having to receive this. It was an unconditional covenant promise that God had made to Abram. He only had to receive it and believe it by faith and live in it. That was all he had to do. But at the very first sign of threat to the promise, what did Abram do? He deserted the land. He left the land of promise. He sought uh, to provide for himself and he protected his own life at the expense of even his very wife in going to Egypt and lying about her, saying that she was just his sister uh, and that would maybe spare his life so that they wouldn't kill him to take her, right? So all this terrible moral failure that Abram enters into, yet God intervened and God protected the promise he had made despite Abram's failure because God always keeps his promises, right? Even when we can't, God keeps his promises. Let me say it this way. Living by faith will never fail you. Living by faith will never fail you. But what do you do when you fail your faith? This is a question we face a lot because we aren't perfect in our faith, are we? If you are, come talk to me after. I'd love to get some tips. (laughs) I'm not perfect either. We're going to fail. We are not perfectly faithful, which is why we need a Savior who was perfectly faithful to fulfill all the law. Because we could not. 
to give his life as a ransom for us because we could not pay our own sin debt. We needed it. So God gave it to us, but what do we do when we fail our faith? What do you do when you fall off the horse? When you give in to temptation? What do you do when you succumb to doubt and fear? Well, Genesis chapter 13 is the story of Abraham's return to faithfulness from failure back to faithfulness. And we're going to break it up into four sections, and we're just going to read each section. We'll cover the whole chapter, though. We'll just read each section at a time and then talk about what that means for Abraham's story, for who God is, and what it means for us. So start with me in chapter 13, verse 1, and we'll read verses 1 through 4. It says, Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, he, his wife, and all he had, and Lot with him. Abraham was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. We learned about that last week. He went by stages from the Negev to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had formerly been, to the site where he had built the altar. And Abraham called on the name of the Lord there. Abram's return to faithfulness starts with repentance. Abram repents. He literally makes a 180 degree turn, which is as I learned as a teenager when I learned about how to share Christ with other people, I learned how to talk about repentance and I learned how to say repentance means to turn around. It means to make a 180 degree turn, to go the other way. And so this is exactly what Abram does. He had been in the land of promise. He had continued as the famine came. He decided to go out of the land of promise. He went south to Egypt to find respite, to find care. This made some immoral choices. He left the land out of a lack of faith, yet now he's wanting to return. So what does he do? He retraces his steps. He goes right back to where he had been in the land of promise before. He returns to the blessing. He re reverses course and goes right back to the place of faithfulness to live in God's promise regardless of the circumstance. Abram didn't know, was the famine over? It doesn't give us that kind of detail. W was there still a lack in the place? All we know is that as Pharaoh in Egypt says to Abram, go take your wife and all your things and get out of here, Abram just goes and he returns to God and to the land of promise. Now, notice the bookends here to this story of sin prior to chapter 13. If you look in chapter 12, verse 10, it says there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt. Abram went down to Egypt. But now in chapter 13, verse 1, it says Abram went up from Egypt. These are literal, literary bookends to Abram's sin. That means Abram was closing the chapter on this sinful season of his life. Returning to faith meant repenting. And repentance is a turn away from sin and it's closing the chapter on a season of sinfulness. A lot of us don't necessarily live this way though, do we? When we get into sin, when we give into temptation, and we start kind of making the wrong choices and leads to 
things kind of spiral out of control and things add up and we wonder how can I get out of this situation and we feel the call back to faithfulness and we say I want to be faithful uh, I need to get back in church but I kind of leave the chapter open on all these experiences or relationships or habits and say but I'm just going to try harder to get out of this but Abram gives us a good example here and we see it right here in the text is that the story opens where Abram moves from famine and in, down into Egypt which is a sinful choice and now in chapter 13 he's returning to faithfulness he closes the chapter on that season if we're going to be people of faith who truly repent we've got to close the chapter on our seasons of sinfulness that when you know you've disobeyed God whatever the cost of returning to faith is, you've got to be willing to take it, to close it, and leave it behind to return to the place of blessing. The reality is we are all guilty of falling into sin. But as long as we leave the chapters open, we will continue to live in it. We've got to close it, fully repent, turn around, and go back to faithfulness. And this is not the only time Abram will choose unfaithfulness. The story as it goes, we're going to see that there's kind of a roller coaster ride in Abram's life between faithfulness and unfaithfulness. But what Abram does is he always returns to faithfulness. See, that's, the point isn't that we are perfect. The point is that we are repentant and truly repentant. In fact, Proverbs helps us with this. In chapter 24, verse 16, Proverbs says, Though a righteous person falls seven times, he will get up, but the wicked will stumble into ruin. This is what happens when we leave the chapters of our sin open and we don't fully close the book on them, that we continue to live in them and from them and we continue to stumble into further and further sin. But if we'll close the chapter, get up in repentance and return to faith, we can then move on in blessing. This is the point. It's not about being perfect, it's just about being repentant. Repentance ought to be a regular part of the Christian life. It's interesting, we were talking this morning with some people about how uh, people come to church and there's a lot of how are yous, you know, haven't seen you in a week, haven't seen you in a couple weeks, how are you doing, how's life? And there's a lot of great, good, fantastic, I'm awesome. And that's always, usually not the case. <laughs> usually, if, even if it's a struggle in life, you know, this ought to be a place where you can admit to it, but even more so, if there's a struggle of sin, this is the safest place to be able to talk about our failures. There's not another safe place in this world to talk about failure. You can't go to your boss and tell them how you completely blew it, because then your job's in jeopardy, right? It's hard to go to a spouse and, and talk about how you've completely blown it because then you're worried if the relationship is in jeopardy. This is the place where we meet a God who came to meet us in the middle of our sin, who pulled us up out of the pit by His power and His grace through His Son that He offered as a free gift to us so that we could find forgiveness and His grace. And so... Christian sinner, come to church willing to be open about your sin. Find community here that's full of grace and spurring one another on to love and good deeds. It ought to be normal for us to talk about how we failed. 
because we are people that when the righteous fall, we get back up and we keep going in God's promise and God's blessing. It's the wicked who hide it. It's the wicked who leave those chapters open and that causes them to continue to stumble into it. So change course, retrace your steps. Let me give you some practical help here uh, because the point is in verse four, it's not only that Abram returned, but how he returned. He goes back to the altar he had built and he called upon the name of the Lord. This is an act of submission. It's not just a return to a place, it's a return to a posture of submission to the God of creation who is king and ruler and reigning over everything. Abram is positioning himself under God's leadership again. This is what repentance does. It's worship. Now we just had a great time of singing songs, but that's not just the totality of worship. (laughs) Worship is a life that is surrendered, positioned under God's leadership. That's willing to say in every way, that God is the ruler of my life, that I will yield to him. And this is what Abram does. This is how he returns. Now, it's just being honest, though, that we have to do this weekly together to keep each other going, right? This is really important to be here together or to spur each other on because throughout the week we have these little moments where we just have, we experience kind of like spiritual drift. I, I don't know, did anybody do some drifting on the ice this week in your car? You usually don't see it coming, do you? And then all of a sudden, you know, you kind of fish town a little bit. This is how it happens in our spiritual lives as well. Spiritual drift can happen. So what do you do when that happens? What do you do when temptation comes, when you seem to be falling off the horse? Well, you know you're supposed to repent. Let me just give you some practical help. Uh, I learned this about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago. Uh, It's called making a plan for spiritual drift. That you ought to know, like when your car goes into a fishtail, your brain ought to engage and you ought to go, okay, let off the gas, don't slam the brake, you know, go with the drift and just, you know, tap the brake and you just know, like that's how you slow down and come to a stop and then you can start going again. A plan for spiritual drift is very similar. We know that Abram uh, went down to Egypt and he came up from Egypt. He retraced his steps going back to the place of the land of promise, to the place of blessing. We can do the same thing spiritually. We can make a map of our spiritual lives and then retrace our steps when we find ourselves at a place of spiritual drift. Think about how you can do this. My grandmother, I remember preaching her funeral and I got to use her Bible. And uh, I remember looking through it, getting ready for her funeral. And in the pages before, like where there's just titles and, you know, tables of contents and, you know, empty blank pages and presented twos and all that. And the inside covers, all of it was covered in scriptures that she had handwritten. Things that were meaningful to her in her spiritual life. I mean, they ha- she had them here in the Bible. I mean, they were right there inside these very covers, but she went one step further and said, this scripture was so meaningful to me, I'm going to handwrite it down. You know what happens when you have that record and you find yourself in a place of spiritual drift? You don't have to flip through and leaf through the whole pages, all the pages of the Bible. You can just open it right here and go, Where was I when I felt close to God? What promises did I hold on to before I drifted? And it can remind you. One other tool you can use is making a playlist. Make a playlist of the songs uh, that remind you of the times when you were closest to God. 
and then you find yourself in a place of spiritual gift, turn on that spiritual drift, turn on that playlist and see how it just reminds you of where you were in those moments when you were close to God. This is a way that we retrace our spiritual steps, getting back to the place of promise and to live in blessing. Just a practical tool. Uh, one other thing you can do is write down your prayers. As you, before you drift, you know, as you live your spiritual life in faith, you can write down your prayers and then write down the answers. So that one day, if you're not feeling close to the Lord, you can return to those things. You know, where is God in this? You can return to times that God showed up in your life and let your own life be a testimony to your future self. This is how we can do this. So we repent, we turn around, we retrace our steps. When we find ourselves being unfaithful, we just return to faithfulness. We turn away from our unfaithfulness and we go back to the place of blessing, the land of promise, to live in God's promise regardless of our circumstances. That was our definition of faith last week as we look at Abram's life, is that faith is just living in God's promise regardless of our circumstances. Now, Abram's circumstances uh, were interesting. As he journeyed in God's promise, uh, there was something he was holding on to, and we're going to read about it here in just a second, verses 5 through 9, where we see not only does Abraham repent, that he also has to do some refining in his life. He's got to make some changes. Uh, look in verse 5. It says, Now Lot, who was traveling with Abram, also had flocks, herds, and tents. But the land was unable to support them as long as they stayed together. For they had so many possessions that they could not stay together. And there was quarreling between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And at that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were living in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please, let's not have quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and my herdsmen since we're relatives. Instead, the whole, isn't the whole land before you? Separate from me. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Why is Lot, Abraham's nephew, important to the story of Abraham returning to faithfulness and to the land of promise? Uh, remember the tension going into Genesis 12 that is actually going to be carried for another 10 or so chapters. The tension of the reality that God has promised offspring to Abram. Yet Abram, whose name literally means exalted father is married to a woman who cannot have children. So here God is saying, Abram, I'm going to bless you with offspring. In fact, you're going to be a blessing to the entire world through your offspring. I'm going to give this land to your offspring. And here's Abram who just has to receive and believe this promise and live in it going, yeah, but I can't have kids. Sarah is barren. What's he supposed to do with that? You may remember in chapter 12, or flip back to it in verse 1, when God gives the promise to Abram, he also get, it comes with kind of some instruction. It says, go out from your land, from your relatives, and from your father's house. But what do we see in verse 4 of chapter 12? Lot went with him. And that's repeated again in chapter 13. Lot is with him. What's Lot doing here? Well, Lot who we learn in chapter 11, his own father had died, had been taken in now by Abram 
who was unable to be a father. And now this seems very noble. I mean, what, what could be possibly wrong with this kind of situation? Um, a modern parallel could even be like fostering an adoption, which is a beautiful thing. Uh, but there are also people who might choose to foster in our day who aren't interested in just giving selfless love to children, but may also maybe more interested in just like cashing the little check of money that comes from the state. And unfortunately, that's part of where the system can be broken sometimes. So in the parallel, this is sort of Abram's situation. Abram is not Lot's surrogate father as much as Lot is Abram's supplemental insurance policy to the blessing and promise of God. That if God doesn't come through, I've got Lot. And, and I can bequeath my things and my promise to him. And technically, he's in my family. And so technically, I can move forward and be okay. And God will fulfill what he says, right? Or is Abram exemplifying a lack of faith in God's promise? to keep Lot in his back pocket, so to speak. And is this really the best for Lot? You have to wonder. And so in this season here in verses 5 through 9, as they're returning to the land of promise and Abram is returning uh, to faithfulness, he's faced not only with his moral failure from Egypt, he's also faced with his failure to fully trust God to fulfill his promise. The verses indicate that Abram was treating Lot already like the heir apparent like regardless of his, if he had children or not he was already living as if lot was the heir i mean you see it in these verses verses five through eight it says that he was traveling with abram that the land could not support them as they stayed for they had many possessions there's a partnership that is akin to the kind of partnership a father who has a son who's an heir would have in the Hebrew language showing up right here. And now, as Abram lives as if Lot is the heir apparent, as lack of faith in God providing a son to be his heir, what he's doing is creating problems for himself. I mean, you see the land's not able to support them. Their employees are developing a rivalry. Uh, and factions in the camp made them vulnerable to the occupying Canaanites and Perizzites, which, by the way, you might remember Canaan was the cursed son of Noah. Do you remember that? Noah cursed his son Canaan for what happened to him. And then the curse was that Canaan would be the slave to Shem. We'll follow the genealogies down down what we see is the Canaanite descendants don't want to be slaves they don't want anything to do with God even they live outside of God's will and plan they are enemies of God that's going to be a theme through the whole book of Genesis and then we have the line of Shem the the blessed son of Noah who then had children who had children and here is Abram a descendant of Shem and so the land of the Canaanites, as Abram marches in, they know who he is. When they hear his name, 
They know who his ancestor is, and they know the curse of their own ancestor, Noah, who said they will be his slaves. And here he is marching in to take over their land promised by God. Do you think that's going to go well? No, they don't need to be vulnerable to that kind of situation. And having factions within their camp, it's going to make it even worse. They're already going to have a hard road to go, leaning on God to provide and fulfill his promise. So Abram needs to correct his relationship with Lot to make room for God to fulfill his promise. Sometimes I think this is how sin takes us. Is that we may have said we want to reject a sinful action, but we still let people who'd pull us into sin remain in our lives and have influence over us. Now, the New Testament teaches us that bad company corrupts good character. Well, here's the application. Faithfulness often demands a refining of our relationships. Maybe a dating relationship has gone too far. Maybe a friendship pulls you back into addiction. Maybe you have a a friend that every time you hang out with that friend, you (laughs) end up in trouble. (laughs) Kids, has that ever happened at school? You have to get separated from somebody in the class because they're always talking to you and then you, by association, are the one in trouble. Sometimes we have to refine our relationships as we return to faithfulness through repentance so that we can fully live in obedience to God and receive his blessing. Could it be that you are not experiencing the flourishing life that God promises because you're hanging on to relationships that don't honor God. So what do we do? How do we separate ourselves? Well, the way of the world would be to cut someone out. I mean, you're not good for me anymore. Good riddance, right? But Abram does something different, and we see that the people of God are to treat people as God would. So Abram knows he needs to refine his relationship to Lot, but he's not going to just go, get out of here, Lot. You're no good to me anymore. Look at what he does. The Abram, the, the one who's over all, who has the right to the land, the one who has the right to the things, the right to the people, who has responsibility over his family, he's generous to Lot. He gives Lot first choice. You ever split something with somebody, like a cookie? This happens to me, and this is not, this is not a cookie, but uh, I, yeah, I'll split a cookie with you, and I break it, and one side's bigger than the other. You have this little dilemma in your mind, don't you? You're like, am I just going to hand them one, or am I going to let them choose, right? It's just good practice. Let them choose. This is what Abram does. Lot, look, everything's in front of you, Lot. Make the first choice. What do you want? Where would you want to go? Because we can't stay in this relationship like this. I've got to trust in God to fulfill his promise. He's essentially saying, Lot, you're not going to be my heir anymore. That our relationship was so entwined and interwoven, but it's time that we unwind it, that we untie it. And you can go your way, but look, look out wherever you want to go. It's your choice. This is an act of grace that Abram extends to Lot. He continued even beyond this 
to show Lot the same grace that God had showed him. That as Lot makes bad choices and ends up in bad situations in the subsequent chapters, Abram will at great expense to himself go and rescue Lot. So it's not that he just gets rid of Lot altogether and says good riddance. No, he treats Lot as God would treat Lot. He treats Lot as God had treated him. He says, I love you, Lot. I care for you. Our relationship isn't going to be this way anymore. But after we separate and go different ways and we have two clans and two directions, I'm still going to love you and care for you. And I'm going to do everything I can to show you the grace of God regardless of your circumstance. That is what the people of God do. And that's how we confidently take steps to trust God and provide for our needs even if it means at great cost to a relationship that we think is just the way it is. I just have to be in this relationship. I'm stuck in this relationship. We can treat people as God treats us. It's a refining. And if faithfulness demands a refining of our lives, worship is what empowers us to do that. The more we understand God's grace toward us, the more we can become people of grace to those around us. Abram likely could not have done what he did in verse 8 had he not already done what he had done in verse 4. Returning to the altar and calling on the name of the Lord, submitting his life to, to the Lord's leadership. That is worship, and that empowers us to make righteous and faithful choices that may appear at great cost to ourselves, but trusting that God is the Lord and leader of our life, and He'll care for us. And so we can respond to others in care, even if it means we have to redefine our relationships. It's the evidence of receiving God's blessing and promise is a life of worship and obedience. How we get the blessing is to actually live in the promise, regardless of our circumstances. That means choosing to believe God is who he says he is and will do what he says he's going to do, regardless of what it looks like right in front of us. So after Abram repents, and after Abram refines his life through his relationship with Lot and going separate ways, we actually see what Lot does, the choice Lot makes. And then we see what Abram does in response to this. And where we find God in this is here in this moment from verses 10 through 18, where God shows up and renews his relationship and promise with Abram. But it's a contrast. The contrast with Lot as the example of faithlessness, and Abram as the example of faithfulness. We're going to see Lot walking by sight, not by faith. We're going to see Abram walking by faith and God giving him sight. Okay, so let's read it together. Verses 10 through 18 as the story continues. It says, Lot, having been given this opportunity by Abram to, to pick first, Lot looked out. 
and saw that the entire plain of the Jordan as far as Zoar was well watered everywhere like the Lord's garden and the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose the entire plain of the Jordan for himself. Then Lot journeyed eastward, and they separated from each other. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, but Lot lived in the cities on the plain and set up his tent near Sodom. The men of Sodom were evil, sinning immensely against the Lord. After Lot had separated from him, the Lord said to Abram, Look from the place where you are. Look north and south, east and west. For I will give you and your offspring forever all the land that you see. I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth. So that if anyone could count the dust of the earth, then your offspring could be counted. Get up, walk around the land through its length and width, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and went to live near the oaks of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. Did you see the contrast? Look at verse 10. Did you see how Lot looked out? That, that it was Lot looking for blessing? That Lot was choosing his own way to, to discern and find his own blessing for his own life based on his own preferences? So Lot was looking for, but then in verse 14, we see that God told Abraham to look from. Abraham was seeing the same land with different eyes. Remember during the famine of chapter 12, he, he stood in that same place and he looked around and he's all, all he saw was desolation and barrenness. All he saw was famine and disaster because he wasn't looking with eyes of faith. But now looking from the very same place with eyes of faith, he was able to see blessing and promise of the God who loves him and fulfills his care and promise for him. Isn't it amazing what it can do when you just change the way you see your circumstances? Instead of looking for something else, for situations to improve, for circumstances to get better, and then deciding God is good, you decide God is good now, and you look from the place you are, and you see, oh wow, I'm going to be okay. Life is going to be fine, because I am God's, and I'm going to obey Him and be obedient to him, and I'm going to trust him, and he will care for all my needs. It's just a different way of looking at life. We saw in verse 10 that Lot was looking for instant gratification. He looked for places that were well watered, like the Lord's garden and Egypt, which, by the way, those two things in Genesis are never supposed to be in the same sentence together as equals. The garden is where we came from. Uh, that was how God intended our life to be, a life of flourishing and dwelling with Him. Egypt always represents sinfulness and disobedience. And so how can you be in sin and disobedience and in the garden? You can't be. It's impossible. And so when Genesis puts these two side by side, what the writer is saying is that Lot was operating out of faulty logic. He was going, I'm looking for what's good that's right in front of me so that I, my needs can be provided for now. I want the green grass. I want the fruit. I want the, uh, the produce. I want everything to be provided for me now. And it says that he could see as far as Zoar, which is a name that means swallowed up, brought low, destruction. And he's 
looking for what's best for him now. And he's seeing as far as Zoar, which is exactly where his life is headed when he looks for instant gratification. It's destruction. That's the result. Contrast that with verse 15 and verse 17. Whereas Lot had taken the land for himself, Abram waits on God and God promises this is a gift. I will give, I will give you this land. What you need, I will provide. I will fulfill my promise to you. You see how Lot is operating by faith, by sight. Abram's operating by faith, and then God gives him the sight. Verse 11 says, Lot journeyed eastward, which in Genesis is always an indicator of walking into sin. We saw it from the garden that as Adam and Eve were banished from the garden, they were banished to the east, right? We saw it uh, in uh, Cain, Adam and Eve's first son, murdering Abel. That which direction did he retreat? He went east. He went east and built cities, which by the way, cities where Lot ends up, cities are always places of sin, places where people provide for themselves and try to be autonomous from God. They think, I can do life the way I want to do it. I'll be fine. I don't need God. That happens in cities in Genesis. This is where Lot goes. He goes east. He goes to the city. And this is always an indicator of sin. We saw how uh, even the descendants of Ham, the other son of Noah, they went east to build the Tower of Babel. To say we can become God for ourselves. In the big city of Babylon, that's where dreams are made. Except it always ends in destruction. Now contrast that with verse 14. Where God says to Abram, look north, south, east, west, all directions. Abraham, your faithfulness will result in you being surrounded by my grace, surrounded by my promise, surrounded by my blessing. You can't escape it. You can't run so far one direction or the other if you live by faith to escape my promise or blessing. I will give it to you. And then, as opposed to the cities. Verse 12 emphasizes that Abram lived in the land of Canaan, the promised land, whereas Lot pursued the city, pursuing his own happiness, his own fulfillment, apart from God and against God. It always results in emptiness, ruin, and judgment. But living in the land of promise, living under God's promises, always results in fulfillment. Now, we don't have a land as people of God today, except that we have a future land. We live for the land that God has promised us in the new creation. We don't have to have a geographical location to experience God's promise right now, but we can rest assured that regardless of what life looks like today, that as people of faith in Christ Jesus, as sons of God, we are made heirs with Christ that we'll inherit eternal life, heaven itself, as God brings heaven to earth and restores creation and makes everything new again. This is good, good news. So if we pursue our own design for life, it results in destruction. But when we repent and we pursue faithfulness, God renews and restores his full blessing I love how he says, I'll give all this land to you. 
Look north, south, east, west. As far as you can see, this is my promise. You're surrounded by it. Even though Abram had been unfaithful, when he returned to faithfulness, he received the full promise and blessing of God. God didn't lessen the blessing because Abram had made a mistake. A lot of times we think that's what's going to happen. That I have made mistakes in my life, I've sinned, I've turned away from God so many times that I'm not even sure if I come back to Him, He's going to accept me. Let me tell you, He will. Not only will He accept you, He's going to accept you with no caveat when you repent and return to Him in faithfulness. And this is good news. It's because of His grace that makes it possible that God says, I'm not going to give you less than the blessing that I originally promised. I'm going to give you the full promise, the full blessing, complete flourishing, complete inheritance, sonship under God to those who choose Him by faith. When you fail, when you fall off the horse, you just repent. Yeah, there's some refining that happens. And God renews fully his promise in your life. And then I just want to draw your attention to verse 16. God redeems your life. Look at what verse 16 says. You might have missed it. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. So that if anyone could count the dust of the earth, then your offspring could be counted. Now, there's a couple of huge things about this sentence. Number one is, he's talking to a guy whose name is father, whose wife can't have children. So, obviously the promise of God is, is huge here. It's, it's really almost too good to be true for Abram. But Abram chooses to trust him by faith. But the other thing that's happening here is God is redeeming an image. Do you remember chapter 3? When Adam and Eve chose sin, they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, just the one thing that God had said not to do, the one boundary God gave, they broke it because they wanted autonomy from God, they wanted to make their own choices, it was, looked good to eat, and so they wanted to take it, and that caused them to be banished from this life of flourishing and then to be cursed. And in the curse, in chapter 3, verse 19, God says, you are dust. And you can remember from chapter 2 how God took dust and formed the man. And in chapter 3, after sin, he says, you are dust, and you will return to dust. The consequence of sin is death. 100%. There is no escape. If you sin, you will die. That's the result. That's the curse. And we said when we studied chapter 3 that this curse was a type of uncreation. That if God had created us from the dust, that the consequence of death was a type of uncreation as a result of sin. But now in chapter 13, we see the image of dust redeemed. That what symbolized uncreation now symbolizes new creation. And this is the movement of God in the world today. This is what God wants to do in all of the earth. And this is what God wants to do in your life. He wants to take what symbolizes death, the consequence of death, and he wants to turn it into life. He wants to give you a new creation, make you into a new creation as he moves toward ultimately remaking all things into a new creation. God took something that symbolized death and he turned it into a symbol of life. Does it not remind you of the Roman cross? 
a symbol of death, representing criminals who deserve you know, the, the death sentence. And yet Jesus hung on that cross willingly of his own volition because he knew he was the only one who could take a symbol of death and turn it into a symbol of life. Because he died on your behalf to give you forgiveness of sin. He was buried, a tomb, a stone was rolled in front. There is no more symbol of death than a grave, right? Yet what happened three days later, God steps in and miraculously removes the stone. Jesus comes out of the tomb. He's resurrected to new life. A symbol of death, again, is made into a symbol of life because God wants you who are destined for death because of your sin to experience new life. You were uncreated because of your sin. God wants to recreate your life by faith. Have you chosen faith? God did all this out of love because he wants you. He longs for you. He created you. His dream for your life is redemption. His dream for your life is fellowship with him forever in the land of promise, our future land, when he recreates everything and dwells with us again. And the only path to eternal life is by dying to your old self through faith in Jesus Christ who died for you and receiving the new life that Jesus offers and living as a new creation for the new creation. This is God's dream for us. So what do you do when you fail? You repent. And that's the path to forgiveness. Do you need to repent today? Do you need to trust Jesus by faith? Do you need to return to faith? I don't know what God's doing in your heart and life, but I pray the scripture has ministered to you and helped shape your thinking and your way of being. I love that we're here together in this. And chapter 13 of Genesis starts and ends the same way. It starts and ends at the altar. So I'm going to invite Haley back up and our worship team and they're going to lead us in a hymn. It's a hymn of response. And I love the line in the hymn, Come Thou Fount, that says, Prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. That's our story, right? We are prone to wander like Abram to lands that look better at the time. We are prone to walk away from the God we say we love. But God is coming after us. And he's calling us to be people of faith. So as we respond today, I want to invite you to make a response of faith. Maybe you just need to repent. Maybe you need to even come to the altar and just kneel and pray and, and repent. Maybe you need to pray with someone. Someone will be available right at the back of the room by the stools. We'll be available to pray with you. Maybe you need to put faith in Jesus for the first time. We'd love to help you do that. Or take a spiritual next step. We've all got them. How will you respond to the word of God today?